Well, good morning to all of you here with us in person, to those who are watching online. It is a joy and a privilege uh, to be together and to come to God's Word. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning there, I want to just say a few words along the way here. We live in some maddening days. And it makes it hard to know how to live when everything seems rather tumultuous. There are four markers about our maddening days that are very hard to miss. Our days are tense. Everything seems to trigger uh, this anxious, argumentative anxiety and alarm. COVID, masks, racial strife, politics... All of it right now is taught with tension. Our days are dubious. Everything is shared. Nothing is believed. We doubt. We distrust. We throw around, well, my scientist says this, or the media does that. And yet we look with suspicion on everything else. Our days are turbulent. When public discourse is dead, all you're left with is the extremities. And we are stuck in a war of ideas, emotions, and instantaneous mobbings. And all of this together is just noise. Our maddening days are noisy. And the noise reverberates through our cultural surround sound system, leaving us wearying under the unrelenting loudness of our days. And so we have two impulses when responding to such tense dubious, turbulent noise. We either have to be louder than the loud or we fade back into a cynical apathy. Whether we seek to be louder than the noise or fade back into the bushes, the Christian, the one redeemed, the follower of Christ, is faced with this all Very real gut check. Has all this tense, dubious, turbulent noise obscured our understanding of why we are here? Has it drowned it out? Has it blocked it? Has it discouraged us in such a way that we just sort of eke through our days? Trying to ignore the fray or speak over it. Well, given where we are in the calendar year of an election year, one that is supremely volatile, and coming to the halftime mark of our Exodus series, I thought it would be very fitting for us to just simply camp out in one of the most incredible passages in all of Scripture. And do so by seeking to answer the question, why are we here? 
If these are our days, and, 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 and maybe I spoke a bit hyperbolic about it, but maybe not. If these are really our days, then how are, what are we doing here? What are we here for? What are we going to do in the midst of these kinds of days? How are we going to live? And so, hopefully, as we walk through Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we will be encouraged all the more to live all, all of our life, making much of the God of all grace to his glory. So we're going to read the whole of our passage that we're going to consider these next six weeks. And then we're going to start in verse 10 at the very end. And then we're going to work our way up to that answer in the weeks that follow. So let's read Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you be with us as we consider it together today. God, help us as we move through this passage that our hearts would be stirred and encouraged and equipped and enabled and emboldened uh, to live for you, to make much of your grace, and to bring you glory. Be with us in that, we pray, and be with us now in this time. In Christ's name, amen. So the question is, why are we here? And we're going to start in verse 10, and the answer is, for good works. Now, this is an incredible passage that makes much of God's grace. And you might be thinking to yourself, say, what? Good works? <laughs> so we're going, to, we're going to start at the very bottom of the passage that we can consider. And we're going to see that we are here for good works. Now, to do that, I want us to, to tackle what do we mean by these good works. That's where this passage is building to. I want us to think through what is it then that we mean by good works. So there are three ways that we're going to look at that today. So if we're here for good works, we need to know the what of good works. The what of good works. What are we even talking about here? And then we're going to consider the why of good works. What what is this point? And then we're going to start in on the how of good works. And we'll spend subsequent weeks digging more into that how. All right, let's go. The what of good works. 
Two ways to answer that. There's the good of good works and the works of good works. Did you get that? So we're going to look at the good and then we're going to look at works. So first, what is good works? Let's consider the good of good works. The good just simply means something that is excellent or honorable. Something that is excellent or honorable. Something that has within it some characters or some qualities that go above, say, average and, and, and communicate something that, that elicits uh, praise. For something to be excellent or honorable, it, it elicits praise. And so for us, the good of good works is going to be something that is excellent and honorable. But here's the kicker in all of this. The good of good works is going to ultimately be defined by that which is ultimately excellent, ultimately honorable, ultimately good. And that definition is going to be bound to our God. It's going to be an according to God kind of definition of good. In fact, there is no definition of good that is not defined by the who of God. Because God is the very definition of good. So let's consider Psalm 107 verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. And how does that good show up? His steadfast love endures forever. The excellent, honorable quality and characteristic of God is that he is good. And that goodness in this particular verse is expressed through his steadfast love enduring forever. Or take Psalm 119, verse 68. This is just straight, like there's no fat on the bone here. Straight goodness. Psalm 119. You are good and do good. (laughs) Psalmist speaking of God to God. You are good and do God. Teach me your statutes. Show me the way in which good, good. (laughs) So there's no way to detach who God is from our understanding of what good of good works means. And it also, you can't detach what God does. If our understanding of good is according to God, it is in who he is, and it is shown and displayed in what he does. That means this, anything and everything God does is good. Anything And everything the God who is good does is good. And we know this famously at the end of Genesis chapter 1. Looking over the course of creation. What does God say? He says God saw everything that he made. And behold it was very okay. Good. Very good. Or Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 4. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. This is important for us. We cannot go about defining good in some sort of ambiguous, like it's the force in Star Wars kind of thing that's just floating out there. And if you just tap into it, you get it. No, good has an origin point, a source. And it's God. It's who he is and it's what he does. And the chapter that we're considering in these six weeks is one that highlights the nature of God's goodness being poured out on sinners such as us in our salvation. 
and God redeeming us. We see his character and his works displaying he is good in the most amazing way. That means sinking down into our very lives, the nature of our redeemed lives is to be consistent with the character of our redeeming God. If we want to understand what we're here for, and if we're here for good works, as Paul says in verse 10, then those good works need to run consistent with the God who has redeemed us. So that's, there's some important things to consider. We cannot do good if we have not received good and no good in the God of our salvation. We can't do it if we haven't received it. If your heart is hard or far from the Lord, if you have gone through the motions of church all of your life and yet never been confronted with the incredible good news of a God who sovereignly and graciously rescues sinners by the work of His Son, who lived a life that you couldn't live, who died a death that you deserved, who overcame an an obstacle and an enemy you could never overcome, if you've been hard-hearted toward that, or have neglected that, or have rejected that, or have never really even heard that, then now today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart to this. This is incredible. You don't have to get your life all in order to be acceptable to God. God sees your mess, knows your, your sin and your struggles, and yet still makes sinners alive by His grace. His goodness overflows. We cannot do good if we have not received that. And don't expect a whole lot of good to come from you if God is not the object of your heart who stirs your mind, transforms your life. Our good must run consistent with the character of our redeeming God. Our lives are to look like, sound like, be filled with that which we experience from God. So that gives us a little sense of what good means. And if we want to know what good means, then we need to know our God. So what about works? What's the works of good works that Paul refers to here in chapter 2, verse 10? Now, there might be the impulse in us that we want a list. And I want a little box next to that list. And I want to be able to check off that list. I want to know what I need to do, when I need to do it, how well I need to do it. So I can, you know, pass the performance review when, you know, God comes around to do that. Maybe your work, your jobs are filled or are structured in such a way, and it's understandable. And so we have this impulse then to come to the scriptures and say, give me the list. I want to check it off. I want to know where I'm at. How much more do I have to go to get the upgrade? Like, you know, we want those sorts of things. But here works, the good of good works speaking to a manner of living, speaking to a lifestyle, 
that is consistent with the character and ways of God. Look again at verse 10. It just simply says, Created in Christ Jesus for good, works, for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should what walk in them. Walk is Paul's way of saying your manner of life, your, your direction, your lifestyle, and its character is Godward. So when Paul uses the word for walk, he's speaking about a long walk in the Godward direction. He's speaking of one who will be living out their life, trusting, clinging, making much of the God who has rescued them. And God purposed it this way. He prepared beforehand such a life for those whom he would redeem. And he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Colossians 1.10 says it. We considered that about this time last year. How crazy is that, first of all? I don't know what is last year. That feels weird. But then to think about this time last year, we were starting Colossians and we were in the early stages of that. So anyway, Colossians 1.10 says this. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. That we are to walk in this way that God has redeemed us to. Or if you're in your Bible still, you just cast your eye over maybe one page or one column in in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So the good works, the works of our good works, is a lifestyle going Godward, consistent with what he has poured out into our lives. It is a walk. If you recall from last year, and I don't expect you to, um, not offense to you, but there's a lot that has been happened, happening since uh, our time together. If you recall, maybe, um, when we said walk, it was a, a good way to remember that, was living out a life that was fit to or shaped to the character of God being formed in us. And we're being cut to, or fitted to, shaped to this incredible gospel of grace that God has poured out in us. It's in how we live. That we would begin living with a direction and a thought and action that is for God and His glory. And it's in what we live. The manner of our life is to be extensions and expressions of the goodness and grace of our God. You have been rescued from something, and most incredibly so, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. By Jesus, you have been rescued from something. But that's not the only side of this coin. You have also been rescued to something and for something. This incredible chapter is is remarkable. The incredible letter of Ephesians is remarkable. But these ten verses are Amazing. As we read through them, we went all the way down into the depths of deadness. 
We started off with the spiritual walking dead. Zombies, spiritual zombies. We're walking dead. There's nothing in us alive. But then come bursting forth the grace of God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. And, and so the nature of grace comes all the way down into the muck and mire of deadness. Into the spiritual zombie infested world. And, and the grace of God brings life, brings light where there's dead and dark. And the grace of God, as we read through that, goes soaring all the way to the heights of heavens. Where are you seated now? In the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. And it doesn't stop there. He could have stopped right there. We're in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show His measurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ. And He could have just rattled off into the next thing. But he doesn't. The nature of grace comes all the way back down into our lives in the here and now. You live in the here and the now. And the grace of God goes all the way down into the depths of death. Brings us shooting all the way up to the heights of heaven. And the grace of God comes flooding all the way back down to where you live right now. God cares deeply about your life right now. Not just rescuing from death and not just preparing a place for you in glory, but he cares deeply about you now. And how you live now. And so verse 10 is striking. It brings us back to the reality that we haven't we, 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 we can't fade back into the bushes with Homer Simpson, for those who know what I'm referring to. And we can't come barking over the loudness of this world. Just gets lost in the cacophony of noise that everything is. No, but we can, however, live as extensions and expressions of His goodness and grace In all that we do. Now that leads me to then the why. Why? Why? The why of good works. Well that's at the very beginning of our verse. For you are his workmanship. Workmanship. Love that word. It's not a common word in the New Testament. But it refers to the skill and the beauty and the purpose of, of the one who made it. So workmanship is displaying forth skill and beauty and purpose of one who created it. Think of a, an incredible piece of art that communicates the beauty and the skill and the heart and the purpose behind that artist. Or think of some amazing architectural marvel that that not only an architect, but then a team of people put together, put from paper to reality and created. And it stirs your thoughts and your emotions. Or think of the Depor Stradivarius, I can never say that, Stradivarius Cello, which was bought for $20 million in 2008. $20 million cello. Imagine that in the hands of the world's most skilled musician and the sound that would bring forth uh, out of that. They marvel our hearts and they bring glory to their creator. Workmanship. 
when we think of this in this verse, we, we certainly have our mind go racing back to creation. But in both creation and redemption, both creation and redemption are displaying the workmanship of God. Both creation and redemption magnify the God of all grace and bring Him glory. Why do we live out our lives for good lives, good works? Why are we here for good works? All to magnify the God of all grace. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Creation is saying, God is amazing. God is amazing. He made this. Out of nothing, He made it, and it's overwhelming, and it's awesome. But you know what? Redemption says that too. In an even more profound sense. Redeemed lives. Murky and muddy and and messy. Redeemed lives are saying and declaring the glory of God and proclaiming His handiwork. You who are in Christ and with your muddy, messy life are proclaiming the glory of God. And you are showing forth His handiwork. Now, I know there are days where you don't feel that way. But you realize that you were once dead, but now made alive. And your aliveness is like a star in the sky. It is proclaiming God's awesomeness. His glory. We are here to make much of the God who redeems. That is our good works. And who we are. And how we live. And whatever it is that we do. We want to live in a way that is saying God has lavished us with His grace. Ephesians 1, chapter chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Live in such a way that this is known. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of His grace. Which He lavished upon us. Lavished. He, he, put it, he poured it all out. On that what He made. In our salvation. Like that artist who put everything he or she had into that work of art. Or that musician who is playing that $20 million cello. Filling our heads, our ears, our hearts, our very souls with the sound of beauty and glory. He lavished us with his grace. And our good works, that is, our manner of living is to reflect the grace of God in our redeemed lives so as to bring glory to God. We are to be like stars in the night sky that declare the glory of God. And our redeemed lives are to be proclamations of God's handiwork. So that in whatever we do, our good works 
are rejoicing in the God of all grace and reflecting the goodness of the God of all grace. So maybe before we hit comment, enter, maybe before we speak, or maybe before we act in our homes, or in workplaces, our neighborhoods, our church, what if our process that became natural to us is to think through my redeemed life can be a proclamation of the handiwork, the workmanship of God. You know that our most profound joy will be found in displaying the grace of God in and through our lives to the glory of God. In any and all that we do. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, to God the Father through Him. That, that, that's, that applies to everybody in this room. It does not matter what your age is, or what season of life you are in, whether you're just laboring through a weird year in college or whether you are trying to make financial decisions for your family, whether you're just a, you know, a younger one who's got a weird school year, whatever it might be, whatever it is that you have in terms of responsibilities and privileges that you have in your life, whatever you do, the most profound joy in those things will be to do them as displays of grace, the grace of God to the glory of God. The what of good works is a lifestyle that is consistent with the character of God. The why of good works is that we get to God out of his love and his mercy has invited us in to be little beacons of his grace and his glory in this world. And it leads us to the how. The how of good works. Well, the how of our good works is by grace. Our good works are to be running consistent with the nature of our salvation. And our salvation is by grace. The passage that we're considering these weeks makes that a profoundly and life-transformatively clear. Our good works are on the downstream of grace. Our passage will highlight the overwhelming nature of the goodness and power of God's grace. And so we need to know that our good works never swim upstream. Our good works are not salmon. They exist because of the current of God's grace. We don't live out good works apart from God's grace. We live out good works because of God's grace. And maybe that switch needs to occur in our heads and our hearts and we realize how much God has supplied for us in our relationship in Christ and has revealed to us in his word and how he illuminates that by the power of his spirit. Our good works do not happen apart from grace, but because of it. And that means then, if it is downstream, that that means there's a source somewhere else. And our privilege and joy and responsibility 
as individuals and as a church, as families and as a family, is to look to the source. With our thoughts, with our hearts, with our lives, with the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and the word that gets preached and the fellowship we share, that we look to the source. Our good works will come from that which we behold. They will come from that which we behold. We cannot reflect what we do not know. And so we are to look to the source. We need to know then our Redeemer. We need to know then the one who has displayed in the greatest fashion, in the final, full, forever way, all of the character and works of God, all of His goodness on display in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Who is the fullness of grace and truth in bodily form. Who came to do what we could not do. To overcome what we did do. To bring us where we could not go on our own. You don't live against that grace. You live because of that grace. Don't try to swim upstream. Grace flows down into our lives. I I can't help but think of the passage in Philippians chapter 4. Now, you might think, oh, yeah, I was just thinking on that passage, too. I've thought about that passage a lot. And everything, in, you know, by prayer and supplication, bringing requests known to God. And, and, yeah, I feel like everything right now is so anxious and on edge. And, and that's not the part of Philippians 4 that I'm thinking of. It's actually what comes right after it. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And he's not talking about just gather information. Set your mind and your heart and your transformed life on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. What a list. What a list. I think it's on two screens. So if you want to go back one to that list again. Whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Set your very life on these things. Now I want to do something. Keep that screen there. Those characters and those characteristics and qualities are not ah personal. They're not, again, just floating out there like I said about good. It's not out there like some force that you have to tap into. Maybe this will help. This helps me. We're gonna, I'm going to read through that again. But I'm going to drop the whatevs. I'm going to put in Jesus because he is these things. He is the perfect displaying of these things. He is the source of those things in our lives. He is the culmination of those things. He is how those things will become more evident in your life so that you can be extensions and expressions of the grace of God for the glory of God. So let's read that again. Finally, brothers and sisters, Jesus is true. Jesus is honorable. Jesus is just. Jesus is pure. Jesus is lovely. Jesus is commendable. Jesus is excellent. Jesus is worthy of praise. Think about Jesus. 
Set your life on Jesus. Practice a life devoted to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Behold Jesus. If you want your life to be filled with the good works that God prepared beforehand for you, so that you might walk in them, know that He has rescued you to Jesus. So study Jesus. Know Jesus. Set your head and your heart on the God of all grace in order to live your lives magnifying the God of all grace. So that when we encounter a tense and dubious, turbulent, noisy day, we have the profound privilege of making much of the one who has redeemed us by his grace and saved us for his glory. Your life is God's workmanship. Rejoice in his grace. Reflect his glory. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as we consider this passage in these weeks ahead, that it would do good work in our hearts. I I, I pray for uh, the preaching, the hearing, the receiving, the believing of it, the trusting of you and the power of your spirit to bring home what we need to hear, that it would transform our lives to your glory. Oh God, may our lives be extensions and expressions of your grace. What, what grace looks like in sinful, broken, messy people, may that be an extension and expression to a broken, sinful world. All to your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.